We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I start with Stuart C. Macdonald. Yeah. Question number one, please, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I know that the sympathies of the whole House are with all those affected by Storm Babbitt, and in particular the friends and families of those who lost their lives. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I join the Prime Minister in expressing my sympathies to all those affected by the recent storms? But, Mr. Speaker, two million people just cannot be sustained from 20-odd aid lorries. Yeah. Utter catastrophe yeah. is being unleashed in Gaza. Yeah. Doesn't the Prime Minister now see that only a humanitarian ceasefire can bring about the scale of emergency aid that is needed? Of course, Israel has a right to defend itself in line with international and humanitarian laws. But we must also speak out when those laws are breached. So surely he agrees that depriving two million civilians, a million children of food, of water, medicines and fuel is not in accordance with international law. Yeah. Will he press Israel to restore the supply of these essentials for the sake of innocent civilians and the future of the entire region? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, it's important that we do everything we can to get humanitarian aid to those who need it in Gaza, which is why on Monday we announced a doubling of our international aid to the region and why the Development Minister is actively engaged with our partners on the ground to ensure that that aid gets to those people as quickly as possible. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Double child rapist and murderer Colin Pitchfork had yet another parole review hearing only a few weeks ago. I thank the Justice Secretary for having listened to me and engaged the reconsideration mechanism rule. Now, I know the Prime Minister does not have any decision-making role within the Independent Parole Board. It is independent of government, but it is a wing of the executive. It is not the judiciary. Now, does the Prime Minister agree with me that men who rape and brutally murder young women as Mr Pitchfork did to Don Ashworth and Linda Mann in my constituency, does he agree that generally, as a point of principle, these sexual offenders should remain in prison for most of their natural lives? I agree with my honourable friend that the public should be confident that murderers and rapists will be kept behind bars for as long as is necessary to keep the public safe. And that's why we're reforming the parole system. Our Victims Bill will mean that minimising risk and protecting the public are the sole considerations in parole board decisions. It will also give the Justice Secretary the power to step in on behalf of the public and take a second look at decisions to release the most serious offenders, including murderers and rapists. And last week we announced that we will be introducing longer sentences for dangerous criminals for the most heinous crimes. Life will mean life. Yeah. We come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about all those affected by these storms? Can I start by welcoming the new member for Mid Bedfordshire? Yeah. The first Labour MP ever to represent those beautiful towns and villages. He defied the odds, history, and of course the fantasy Lib Dem bar charts. Can I also welcome the new member for Tamworth? She will be a powerful representative for her constituents. 
Is the Prime Minister as relieved as I am that those constituents are not burdened with his defeated candidate who told them, don't worry, Mr Speaker, I'm going to sanitise this, to F off if they're struggling with the cost of living? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm proud of what this government is doing to support the most vulnerable over the past year. But, uh, Mr Speaker, can I, can I in fact join him in welcoming the new members to their places? After all, I suspect the new member for mid-beds may actually support me a little bit more than the last one. <laughs> I did, I, did notice, I did notice that the new member said that they will be opposing new housing in their local area, while the new, while the new member for Tamworth claimed that they will protect green spaces. I would urge them to have a word with their leader, because that's not exactly his position, Mr Speaker, although with his track record of U-turns, who knows what his housing policy will be next week? So much for being the change candidate, he can't even distance himself from those appalling comments. But, but I do have to ask him, I do have to ask him, where on earth does the Prime Minister think his candidate got the idea in the first place that throwing expletives at struggling families was his government's official position? Prime Minister! Mr. Mr Speaker, let's just look at the record of what this government is doing to help those people paying for around half of a typical family's energy bill over the last year, support worth over £1,500, for the most vulnerable in our society receiving £900 in direct cost of living support, record increases in the national living wage, record increases in welfare, and this winter, Mr Speaker, pensioners to receive an extra two or £300 alongside their winter fuel payment to help them through what we know is a tough time. All of that, Mr Speaker, significant support funded by this government, all of that would be put at risk by Labour's reckless plans to borrow £28 billion a year. He keeps boasting about how great things are. The voters keep telling him he's got it wrong. But I can see why the Tamworth candidate thought he was just following government lines. Annalisa and her two children lived in their home for eight years. In May, they were kicked out with a no-fault eviction notice. Despite his government's pledge to scrap no-fault evictions, this week the Prime Minister crumbled to the landlords on his own back benches and killed the policy. What message, other than the message delivered by his candidate in Tamworth, could Annalisa possibly take from that? Mr Speaker, we've taken significant action to help renters like Annalise and others. We've capped holding deposits at one week. We've protected tenants from rip-off tenancy fees, delivered almost half a million affordable homes for rent and halved the number of percentage of substandard homes in the private rented sector and strengthened local authority enforcement powers because this government is delivering for renters. But we are also, Mr Speaker, trying to ensure the new generation can buy their own home. So perhaps he can explain to Annalisa and thousands and millions of others why, when we brought forward plans to unlock 100,000 new homes, he stood in the way of that. Just to say, it's Prime Minister's questions, not opposition questions. Yeah. 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 Pierce Garman. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. 
Prime Minister, it is Prime Minister's questions. I don't need you nodding against my decision. Well, I'm sure Annalise and her children, who have now been evicted, will take great comfort from that non-answer. Emma and her teenage son saw their mortgage go up by more than a quarter. They may think this is funny. This is real life. After 16 years of dutifully paying their mortgage, for the first time she's having to choose between new shoes for her son and putting the heating on. All because his party crashed the economy, pushing mortgage rates to their highest levels in decades. He he says ignore all that. Ignore the fact that the guilty men and women responsible are standing again as his candidates and still setting his policy. Can he not see why Emma might think that his party is telling them exactly where to go? Mr Speaker, he he keeps talking about the mini-budget. I won't ask him a question, Mr Speaker. Well, I will just point out he did actually support 95% of the things in that mini-budget, which I didn't, Mr Speaker. But again, he's had, a whole, he's had a whole summer to get on top of the details. He's still ignoring the fact that rising interest rates are a global challenge. They are at their highest level in America and Europe for more than 20 or 30 years. Mortgage rates have doubled in America, trebled in Europe. Now, what we do want to do to help mortgage holders is ensure that they can use the mortgage charter that we've agreed with the banks. And thanks to the steps that we've taken, someone with a £200,000 property with about £100,000 left on their mortgage could save over £350 a month and lock in a new deal six months before theirs ended and repossessions will be prohibited for 12 months from the first missed payment. He might have missed that that policy is twice as generous as Labour's. Absolutely tone deaf in every calf, pub and supermarket in Britain, Britain having the same conversation. We can't afford that. Put it back on the shelf. It's too expensive. He is completely oblivious, just patting himself on the back. Emily and Jamie have worked hard and saving for years to buy their own home. They were nearly there last year, but he scrapped house-building targets because his backbenchers pushed him around. House-building has fallen off a cliff, shattering the simple dream of home ownership for people like Emily and Jamie. Can the Prime Minister now see that actually his candidate in Tamworth was just loyally following the party line? Mr Speaker, I think these, these prepared lines really aren't working for him anymore. He, he, literally, he literally asked a question. He literally asked me a question about the support that we're providing for mortgage holders. I gave him the answer to that question, and then he read from his script to say that we hadn't answered the question. We're providing significant help for all these people. He's moved on to housing targets, but here's the record. Two and a half million additional homes. Housing starts double what they inher- we inherited from the Labour Party. Housing supply up 10%, on track to deliver a million new homes, and a record number of first-time buyers, Mr Speaker. But again, he brings up his candidates in Tamworth and Mid-Beds. As we open this session, he's now saying he wants to build he wants to build homes but well, both of those candidates want to say that they want to block new homes in their constituency thank you mr speaker mr speaker 
across our country, the British people are rolling up their sleeves and getting on with it, doing their best in the face of a punishing cost-of-living crisis and a government that has abandoned them, abandoned renters at risk of being kicked out, abandoned mortgage payers struggling to make ends meet, abandoned those who dream of owning their own house. The truth is, his candidate in Tamworth summed up perfectly just how his and his Tories are treating the British public. So will he just call a general election and give the British public the chance to respond as they did in Selby, Midbeds and Tamworth? They've heard the government telling them to F off and they want the chance to return the compliment. Mr. Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, as we saw with his recent decisions on actually building new houses, politicians like him always take the easy way out, Mr. Speaker. Whereas we're we're getting on making the right long-term decisions to change this country for the better on net zero, on HS2, on a smoke-free generation, on education and energy security. Contrast that to his leadership too cautious to say anything and hope that nobody notices, Mr Speaker. Let me tell him, come that general election, the British people will. I said whore, not more. It's it's the first time I've been confused with the leader of the opposition, Mr Speaker. There's been many rumours about you. True, Mr. Speaker. Uh, like, like me, my right honourable friend has the honour and privilege of representing a rural constituency. I'm sure he, like I, occasionally feels a certain degree of frustration that whilst progress has been made in this area, the rubric of funding formulae for things like the Environment Agency, local government, the police, and education still fails to adequately reflect the difficulties and challenges of delivering public service in rural areas. Can my right honourable friend, the Chancellor and the wider government use the opportunities of both the autumn statement and the forthcoming budget to explore these issues further to give a better delivery of service for his constituents and for mine? Can I uh, thank my honourable friend for raising this important issue on behalf of both his and my constituents. It's vital that we have the same high quality services in rural areas as well as our towns and cities. I am pleased to tell him that we're providing £95 million through the Rural Services Delivery Grant to help rural councils achieve exactly that. We are currently reviewing the police funding formula, and I remember working with him to ensure that the national funding formula for schools does take account of the differing characteristics of schools and their pupils. But we will continue to keep all these things under review, and I agree with them entirely. Our rural communities must be given the same funding and public services as everyone else in our country. SNP Deputy Leader Murray Black. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the UN warned that hospitals in Gaza had just 48 hours of fuel left to keep their electricity going. That was 28 hours ago. The electricity runs out tonight. Now, we have a human responsibility to all the people in Gaza, but we have a particular responsibility for UK citizens, some of whom are in those hospitals with no food, no water, no medicine and no way out. So I want to ask the Prime Minister, how much worse does the situation have to get before he will join us in calls for a humanitarian ceasefire? Uh, 
Mr Speaker, the, from the start, we have said that the first and most important principle is that Israel has the right to defend itself under international law. Our support for that position is absolute and unchanged. Uh, but from the start, we have also said that we do want British nationals to be able to leave Gaza and that we want hostages for, to be released and for humanitarian aid to get in. And we recognise that for all of that to happen, there has to be a safer environment, which of course necessitates specific pauses as distinct from a ceasefire. And we discussed this with partners yesterday evening at the United Nations. And we have also been consistently clear that everything must be done to protect civilians in line with international law and continue getting more aid flowing into Gaza. Murray Black. Mr Speaker, the, the growing calls for a ceasefire is also about calming the situation in the broader region, especially the West Bank. UNICEF has reported over 2,000 fatalities and over 5,000 injured children since the conflict began due to unrelenting attacks. If we ignore this, we risk pouring petrol on a fire in a place that only requires a spark to ignite. Can the Prime Minister understand that joining calls for a ceasefire is now the best and maybe the only way to stop this conflict escalating beyond all control? Mr Speaker, we do worth have to remember that Israel has suffered a shockingly brutal terrorist attack. Hamas is responsible for this conflict and is, has the right to protect itself in line with international law. As the UN Charter makes clear, we will continue to urge the Israelis to follow international law, uh, whilst we also have to remember that Hamas cruelly embeds itself in civilian populations. But we are doing everything we can to get aid into the region. I'm pleased to say an RAF flight left the UK this morning for Egypt, carrying 21 tonnes of aid for Gaza. The relief supplies include over 75,000 medical kits, solar lights, water filters for families and warehousing equipment. Our team are on the ground ready to receive. We will continue to do everything we can to increase the flow of aid, including fuel, into Gaza. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, in the matter of Wally's Quarry, my constituents in Newcastle under Lyme have been utterly let down and failed by the Environment Agency. Not only have they failed to prosecute a rogue operator for the repeated breaches of their permit, we now learn that all of their monitoring equipment for the last seven years, including in your constituency, Mr Speaker, has been grossly under-recording levels of hydrogen sulphide by a factor of approximately two or three times. That's the monitoring equipment that people have been relying on to tell them that their air is safe and clean to breathe. Given everything that's happened, we really need to see some proper action now. I've had enough with the EA, my constituents have too. So will the Prime Minister do everything in his power to get a grip on this failing organisation? Yeah. Well, my uh, honourable friend is absolutely right to raise the concerns of his constituents. Uh, the Environment Agency's criminal investigation is ongoing, so I hope he can understand <laughs> that I can't therefore comment further on it. Uh, but with regard to his concerns about the measurement inaccuracies, uh, I have been assured and checked the Environment Agency is working swiftly to understand the scale of the problem. The Environment Secretary is currently monitoring the situation, and I have asked that she keeps my honourable friend regularly updated. Mr Speaker, a few short months ago, the world came to Belfast to celebrate the Good Friday Agreement. At the heart of that agreement was the realisation that we could not use 
violence uh, as a tool for revenge or to achieve our political aims. As 1,400 Israelis and almost 6,000 Palestinians lay, de- lay dying and dead, when will the Prime Minister say enough is enough? When will he call for a ceasefire? When will he tell Israel to stop meeting out collective punishment on the people of Gaza? And when will he and other world leaders insist on a political solution that involves a Palestinian state for the Palestinian people? Yeah. Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, as I said, uh, an important principle is that Israel does have the right to defend itself under international law to ensure that attacks like this, which were brutal and horrific for their citizens, can't happen again, and we continue to support that position. But as I said, from the start, we've also wanted to ensure humanitarian aid can go in and hostages and nationals can come out. We recognise that that means there has to be a safer environment, which of course necessitates specific pauses as distinct from a ceasefire. And we discussed exactly this with our international partners yesterday at the United Nations, and will continue to do so. And as I made clear on Monday, we have double down on our efforts to find a better future for the Palestinian people. It's been a feature of all our diplomacy in the region, and we will continue to give all our efforts to making that happen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. For too long, Bradford Council have failed to represent the best interests of my constituents, whether it be their catastrophic failures on children's services, their inability to invest our own council tax back into Keighley and Ilkley, or their refusal to instigate a review into child sexual exploitation across the Bradford District. Local residents and I are fed up of being ignored by Bradford Bradford Council, and we want out. So will the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss my case for leaving Bradford Council on creating our own unitary authority, which better represents Keighley and Ilkley, putting our priorities first? Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I know my honourable friend is a passionate campaigner on this issue, indeed even uh, introducing a private member's bill earlier on it this year, and I agree with him that his council should be working to ensure that it delivers good services for all its residents, including his constituents. I will certainly arrange for the relevant minister to discuss his concerns further, uh, and, and as he didn't do it, maybe I can plug his, uh, his event this afternoon, I believe, in the Jubilee Room, the Keith Lee and Ilkley Showcase, where perhaps a minister can come to discuss it in person then. William Morris. It's just a year ago now that the new Prime Minister promised to unite our country, not with words, but with action. Quite rightly, voters make a judgment on actions. But in my constituency, as in many others, the Prime Minister hasn't delivered on his promises. Our Broth House in Easton Colliery is a GP practice without the funding to deliver basic community health services. Communities like Shotton, South Hetton, Hassel and Horden lack the police officers to tackle crime and antisocial behaviour. We see sewage being dumped on our coastline at Seaman Blackhall without prosecution of the privatised water companies. We see investment for levelling up, block for Horden. When will the Prime Minister call a general election and let Labour rise to the task of rebuilding Britain? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the Honourable Gentleman raised crime. I'm pleased to say that crime is now down by over 50% since Labour were last in office, and that includes significant reductions in antisocial behaviour, which you mentioned. And indeed, earlier this year, not only did we uh, meet our pledge to deliver 20,000 more police officers, a record number on our streets, our antisocial behaviour plan is already making a difference, delivering immediate justice and clamping down on that type of activity. Okay, no. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Yeah, I yeah. rightly support the government's plans to build more homes and ease housing shortages. However, I have significant concerns about the impacts of developments on our ageing drainage systems and the potential risks that this poses for flooding, as we're seeing in places like the Hazel Walls development in Utoxeter. What steps will the government take to ensure that as more houses are built, existing infrastructure is also upgraded and maintained by local authorities to ensure it's not overwhelmed with additional use and less permeable surfaces? Mr Speaker, as my honourable friend knows, our traditional drainage systems are under increasing pressure, and that compares with the benefits of sustainable drainage systems, which work in a different way. It was already a requirement that sustainable drainage systems should be given priority in any major new developments and developments in flood risk areas, but earlier this year we committed to requiring sustainable drainage systems in all new developments, in top of DEFRA's plan for water, which puts a statutory duty on water companies producing plans to set out how they will improve, maintain and extend our robust and resilient wastewater systems. Charlotte Mitchell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I hosted the MS Society and people living with multiple sclerosis to hear about their experiences accessing personal independence payments. Ten years on from its introduction, people with MS and other fluctuating conditions are still too often being denied the support that they deserve to manage the extra costs of their condition and to retain their independence for longer. 22,524 people with MS have signed a petition calling for a full review of PIP for fluctuating conditions, which is on its way to Downing Street right now. Will the Prime Minister listen to their call? Mr Speaker, I'm I'm very sorry to hear about the experiences of those suffering with uh, MS that she mentions. I'll ensure the Work and Pension Secretary looks at their concerns and writes to the Honourable Lady. Sir Peter Bottomley, Father of the House. We know some duck serious questions today aiming for electoral advantage in the future. Can I note that the Prime Minister prefers to take decisions that will benefit the country now in the longer term so that we can have more jobs, better education and a shared prosperity? I thank, I thank my honourable friend for his kind words. Yeah. Mr Speaker, while the final report of the infected blood inquiry has been postponed until March, Sir Brian Langstaff, the independent chair, has already published his recommendations on compensation for victims of that scandal. Can the Prime Minister explain why his government insists on postponing its response until after publication of the final report, kicking it into the long grass and delaying justice once again for my constituents Justine, Rachel and Paul, whose fathers died as a result of that scandal, as well as thousands of others across these aisles? Mr Speaker, as I said previously from the dispatch box, what happened was an appalling uh, tragedy, and my heart goes out to all of those affected and their families. Uh, I've given extensive evidence to the inquiry, uh, so my position on this matter is on the record, but I would say there is extensive work that has been going on in government for a long time, coordinated by the Minister for the Cabinet Office, as well as interim payments of £100,000 being made to those who are affected. Simon Baines. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The, the Prime Minister has been a great champion of transport projects on the Welsh borders, including the electrification of the main line in North Wales, the reopening of Corwin Station and the Gaboin to Oswestry line, 
and also substantial levelling up fund investment in the Llangollen and Montgomery canals. Would the Prime Minister now deliver on the long-awaited Pantlanamunnock bypass and also prioritise the duelling of the A5, A483 in Clwyd South and North Shropshire? Mr Speaker, we are making significant improvements to our cross-border rail services across the Union. Thanks to our decision on HS2, we can now provide an unprecedented £1 billion of investment to fund the electrification of the North Wales main line uh, that will ensure reliable, punctual journeys between North Wales and multiple cities uh, across north of west of England. We also are continuing to develop the plant Clannamanic bypass scheme in our next round of the road investment plans and the section of the A5 in England will be considered by National Highways as part of the Midlands to Gloucestershire to Wales route strategy. Lillian Greenwood. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's important that the COVID inquiry has all the relevant documents. Yeah, yeah. That's what the public, including thousands of bereaved families, expect and deserve. But despite being a self-described tech bro, the Prime Minister has been unable to locate and provide his WhatsApp messages to the inquiry. Does he agree that devices should be handed over to experts to retrieve this information? Mr Speaker, both the Government and I have fully cooperated to provide tens of thousands of documents to the COVID inquiry, and I look forward to giving evidence later this year. Peter Alders. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. With the ongoing national crisis in NHS dentistry being raised here most weeks, can my right honourable friend advise as to when the dentistry plan produced by the Department of Health will be published, and can he ensure that any clawed-back, unspent funds are ring-fenced for NHS dentistry so as to deal with emergencies and to help clear the backlog. Hear it. Mr Speaker, we're investing three billion pounds into NHS dentistry and the reform dental contract is helping to improve NHS access, access for patients. Uh, in the last year, I'm pleased to say NHS dental activity also increased by almost a quarter compared to the year before, uh, but the forthcoming dental recovery plan, which will be out shortly, will include action to incentivise dentists to deliver even more NHS care. Ruth Gabbard. Thank you, Mr yeah. Speaker. It is an honour to be elected to this place, and the standards by which we are expected to abide matter. So does the Prime Minister accept that it was ill-judged for him to fail to declare to Parliament that companies linked to his wife had benefited to the tune of £2 million from a fund he had set up as Chancellor. Will he correct the record now? Mr Mr. Speaker, it's worth worth bearing in mind that the Labour frontbenchers backed the Future Fund when it was introduced. Indeed, indeed, they were calling for more funding for it, not less. Uh, The House uh, will be aware of my wife's shareholdings in various British start-ups, as that's her her career, which are on the record, and I'm happy to put on the record again. But it is worth bearing in mind that the Future Fund helped over 1,200 different companies. Neither the government nor the British Business Bank chose any of those specific investments. It was open to any British firm that met the criteria. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Speaker, the UK is at risk of being left behind on hydrogen engines, hydrogen ice. Hey, hey. The EU and the USA are now recognising hydrogen combustion engines as zero hey, hey. emissions and are supporting their industries as all viable zero carbon technologies will be needed, particularly for our HGVs, according yes. to the RHA. Hey, hey. So I'm working with Borg Warner, Fenia on ice and many MPs because this is crucial for UK jobs, skills and manufacturing. Yes. Will my right honourable friend commit to urgently extending the scope of the Automotive Transformation Fund industrialisation grants Brilliant. to include hydrogen engines so we win the ice race. Well, Mr Speaker, the government is determined to ensure that the UK remains one of the best locations in the world for automotive manufacturing. Hydrogen fuel cells and their upstream supply chain are already in scope of the ATF, and support for this fund has enabled Johnson Matty's £60 million investment in Hertfordshire to develop hydrogen technologies. But I am told by the Minister that DBT are continuing to look at the future possibilities for renewable hydrogen and will consider the fund's eligibility in light of the new development. In this space. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There's an email in my inbox from a constituent who has family in Gaza. It reads My heart can't handle this anymore. We are being massacred, relentlessly bombed, homes are being destroyed, no water, no food, no electricity. Save the children reported that one child is killed every 15 minutes. And as I speak, the lives of 130 babies in incubators are in danger if fuel does not reach their hospital in time. This is collective punishment of the Palestinian people in Gaza for crimes they did not commit. How many more innocent Palestinians must die before this Prime Minister calls for humanitarian well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I, I welcome that there is, in fact, unity across these dispatch boxes on Israel's right to defend itself in face of an unspeakable act of terror. Uh, but it is also clear that we must support the Palestinian people. They are victims of Hamas too. Hamas uses innocent people as human shields, and we mourn the loss of every innocent life, people of every faith, of every nationality, and we are working as hard as we can to get as much humanitarian aid into Gaza as quickly as practically possible. Final question, Dr Dan Poulter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, last week, uh, Suffolk experienced its worst local floods for over a hundred years, with communities in and around Needham Market, Framlingham, Debenham, and Wickham Market particularly badly affected. Uh, homes and businesses have been destroyed. And Suffolk, the community, has rallied together in a very stoic and pragmatic way to support those in need uh, at this very difficult time. But what longer-term support can the Prime Minister offer to the people in Suffolk, um, those businesses and homes that have been affected by these floods, to help them to recover and rebuild? Yeah. Yeah. Well, flooding Prime is Minister. a devastating experience, and I extend my sympathies to all those affected, including those in his own constituency. Uh, I'm pleased to say that that's why, through the flood recovery framework, we are confirming additional financial support for those households and businesses most affected. This will include a £500 grant for households, council tax discounts and business rates relief of up to 100% for three months. Small and medium-sized businesses will also be eligible for a £2,500 business recovery grant 
and up to £5,000 grants for flooded homes to make them more resilient for future flooding. We recognise the heroic efforts, Mr Speaker, of local councils like his and emergency responders everywhere who have been working tirelessly in affected areas. They have our thanks, and we also stand ready to consider any requests from councils for support in their recovery efforts. That completes questions. I'll come to question one in a second. Well, there was one.